Parents are often blindsided when they find out that their student, who they thought was an awesome reader, isn't actually understanding what they're reading. This can absolutely fly under the radar, and this is a phenomenon we really dig into in last week's episode, episode 17. Today we continue our discussion from last week and finish out our list of our top 10 favorite reading comprehension strategies. We'll also talk about the key takeaways or things to think about when it comes to reading comprehension. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 18 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. In today's episode, we're going to provide you with some more of our favorite reading comprehension strategies. This episode is also a part of our reading series, so be sure to go back and listen to episode 12, My Kid Isn't Reading, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet. Also, today's episode is the second half and continuation of last week's episode, so be sure to go back and listen to episode 17 to provide even more context for what we're going to talk about today. Steph and I decided we were going to do a quick little review about the first four strategies that we talked about last week, and they were knowing what the story is about in advance by using visual cues on the cover of the book, the back of the book, and spark notes, and spark notes, two, pre-filled sticky notes in the book with the W questions and interesting moments and or pictures, Three, using visualization after every paragraph, drawing a picture, helping you create a picture of what's going on in the story. And our fourth one is audiobooks, which we love. Love. And follow along while you're listening. So the fifth reading comprehension strategy that is probably something that most parents know, but we want to make sure that we're making it really explicit for you guys, is to make true life connections with the story. This means finding things that your child can relate to. So if the character loves ice cream, oh my goodness, you love ice cream too. What's your favorite flavor? Or this little boy is 12 years old and you're 12 years old. Do you have some of the same feelings sometimes? When a student is able to connect with a character or a plot line or an emotion that's being discussed in the book, it personalizes the story to them and they're also much more likely to remember what they read and to remember that connection. And I want to add, they're much more likely to be interested. And that is important for a struggling reader. Couldn't agree more. A book of high interest. Mm -hmm. That's why you and I have always talked about we don't care what our students read as long as they're reading. And as long as it's slightly challenging to them, it's going to keep them engaged. Yeah, so if your child is really into a specific animal and there is a book about a specific animal, let's say. Go for it. Go for it because they're still going to get something out of it and it's raising the bar a little bit. It's all about having language and taking in new knowledge and following along with plot. So who cares what the plot is? Yeah, exactly. It's true. Steph, why don't you talk about the sixth reading comprehension strategy? I feel like we've gleaned over this a bit in part one, but now we're making it super explicit. The sixth reading strategy is reading for answers. 
So knowing what you're responsible for answering and being able to read for those questions. Let me give you an example. In a standardized test that gives a long story, we recommend that you read the questions and answers first and then go back and read the story. So for a story that doesn't have questions already out there, other examples are in a social studies book. Exactly. After each section, there's the questions about the chapter or essential questions or however they phrase it. But in a fiction reading book, let's say, there might be something in the back of the book. Sometimes there are, but sometimes there's not. So this is where Rachel and I will go on the internet and find some questions about what the student is reading and helping them dive in from there. So these are often called guided reading questions. If you're a part of a book club, this is something that you're likely familiar with. You're reading for information. Now, we said in the first part of these two episodes that good readers are reading for the story. So they are reading for information, but they're reading for the pleasure of the story. They're reading for the narrative. They're reading because they like the author's style or they like the topic. A student who struggles with reading doesn't have that inherent joy and that inherent pleasure. So we need to give them a task so that they are able to pay attention to key moments that we have highlighted as important. And one of the ways that we do that is by our sticky note strategy, which was strategy number two. Like Steph said, we go online and do that and find questions for them that they're responsible to answer in every chapter. This is really helpful in highlighting to students what's important in the narrative. You can also go to the questions themselves and have a whole conversation about the questions. Huh. So this character has a big feeling in this chapter. Do you have any predictions about what that could be? These are the ways that you connect all the different strategies together. Think about this like a story map, like a map in general, and you're following the map and having key points that you're able to connect when you're giving directions or something. The seventh strategy, it's not so much for a narrative, but when you're in the classroom setting and you're being given a paragraph and then you have questions that you have to answer, this is something that younger students are asked a lot of. Honestly, they still do this type of thing in middle school and high school as well. But one of the things that Steph and I have absolutely noticed is that students do not answer the question to completion. So oftentimes a question will have how and why did this character fall down, for example? Well, there's two different questions. How did the character fall down and why did the character fall down? A lot of the students that we work with, especially if they have attentional issues or if they struggle with executive functioning, don't attend to that second question. So when you're doing that first initial read-through of the guided reading questions, restating the question in your own words, and then also identifying how many questions they're responsible to answer. So in that question of how and why, there's two separate questions that they're responsible to answer. Students get marked off on this a lot on homework Mm -hmm. because they're not attending to both parts of the question. So they've answered it, and they think that they've answered it. They genuinely think that they've answered the question, but they don't realize that it's a two-parter. And the assignment can be kind of sneaky if you don't draw their attention to the fact that sometimes there's like three or four questions involved, right? 
So you really have to teach students how to interpret questions appropriately. And how do you do that, Rachel? What do you, Mm -hmm. when there's a how and a why, Mm -hmm. what's the strategy that you use to help them remember that there's more than one question? What we're specifically doing, first of all, I have a conversation with all my students about what a question is and key question words. So how and why are pretty common question words. When they see those words, they should be triggered in. But the first thing that we triggered in to mean, be on alert, there's a couple of things you're responsible for. The first thing we do is we read the question. The second thing I have my students do is restate the question in their own words. And then I ask them, how many different questions are you being asked? So it's three parts, three separate conversations for each individual question. Do I do this for a year with a student? No. They learn it fairly quickly once you've drawn their attention to it. But honestly, this is the precursor for an elementary age and a middle school student, really, to understanding how to interpret a prompt in high school and college. That's a whole conversation for another time. It's one of the reasons students struggle with writing is that they don't know how to interpret a prompt. But this is the precursor skill for interpreting those long. We all remember when we got papers in high school, it was this long, complex question many, many sentences, and you had to go through and decipher what are you actually being asked, that is a skill that needs to be nurtured over the course of many years. I was going to say, and you can use a highlighter to highlight the how and the why as a visual cue. If it's how and why, I'll have them underline the how and then write a little one above it, and then underline the why and have them write a little two above it so that they're responsible for it. Sometimes when they do the one and the two, if this is a student who will forget to look at the number two, in the space allotted for the answer, I'll have them write one and then skip a couple lines and write two. So they make sure. Nice. I was just going to add, make sure that your student doesn't highlight the entire question because that doesn't help. Defeats the purpose. I feel like we've talked about that in our discussion of studying. Yes. But we want to use highlighters and colors sparingly and meaningfully with purpose. Yeah, otherwise it just looks like one big yellow blob. Yep. All right, Steph, what's strategy number eight? Strategy number eight is creating a summary for the chapter, the story, the paragraph, whatever it is that you're starting or that you're currently working on. Let's say we're doing a chapter, for instance. Identify the main points that are going on in the story. So I'll often do this with a student especially the ones that want to give me a lot of information Mm -hmm. and it's not important information. I don't Mm -hmm. need to know what color the shirt was of the kid. It's the difference between significant and insignificant details. Exactly. So I limit them to how many important points are going on. So then they'll give me a really long sentence and we'll practice shortening the sentence. Mm -hmm. And just like we've talked about before – not writing out a whole sentence, but writing key words. Nope. And I'll just do that in bullet points at the top of the paper. And then we've really narrowed it down to what's really important at that point. The nugget. The jewel of it. Yeah, the nuggets of the chapter. And then having them create simple sentences using appropriate language. So I often have students do this with the sticky notes. They've usually identified the key points in the who, the what, the where, and the when, and then take that information and turn it into one sentence. There's a lot of skills that are being strengthened by this exercise. And this brings us to number nine, which is 
talking out loud. So you can do strategy number eight of creating a summary just by having them talk out loud. We are big, big fans of talking out loud about what we're doing. Steph and I narrate for kids how we're thinking so that they can have a model for what they should be thinking. And talking out loud is the way that we are really able to understand what they understand. Talking out loud creates accountability for understanding the narrative. From the educational therapeutic perspective, one of our goals as ed therapists is for students to be able to identify out loud how they learn best and also the strategies that work for them. Parents are not invited to be a part of session, but they are often very interested in the strategies that we're teaching in session. It's how they know what we're doing, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that I have found hugely meaningful is when it's coming down to like that last five minutes of session, we put everything away and I literally say to my client, okay, your mom always wants to know what we did in session or your dad always is going to want to know what we did in session. Whoever is going to pick them up is going to want to know what strategy they learned that day. So we rehearse it. I've explained the strategy in session. They've practiced the strategy, but the third step of this whole loop is them being able to explain it out loud. When you are able to explain something out loud, you're identifying what's important. You're solidifying it in your own memory. And it's the third opportunity to have an interaction with it, establishing more of a likelihood that you're going to remember it for next time. So the 10th strategy for reading comprehension is called skim and scoop for nonfiction text. And we actually learned this strategy in a seminar. I forgot about it. And I think it's really, really great. So I've implemented it a lot. And you have to be sure that it's a nonfiction text. So this is in a social studies book, in any sort of informational paragraph, etc. And what you do is without even having to read the text completely, you can skim it. And if you take one paragraph, for example, and skim for the words that repeat themselves quite a few times, and I'm not talking about the insignificant words like to, in, for, the, I'm talking about bigger words. And a word that comes up several times, meaning probably three or more times in a paragraph, is going to help you hone down what that paragraph is about. So let's say there is a paragraph about penguins, and the paragraph mentions penguins five times, and it also is talking about you see black and white, black and white, black and white several times. So you know that the first paragraph is going to be about penguins being black and white. Can I ask, do you circle it? Do you highlight the word penguin? I have them circle it. Just start by a paragraph, skim for the word that comes up several times, circle it. Then in the margin, I have them write, not a sentence, but just the words for that paragraph. So penguin, black and white. So that way we know that paragraph is going to be about penguins being black and white. You could also have them draw a picture of it, too. You totally could. Absolutely. So this keeps going. You go to the next paragraph, and it's probably going to be penguin, penguin, penguin again. But this time, it might be about their feet. So it might talk about their webbed feet, and you'll see webbed several times, or webbed feet or something, just as an example. 
And so you know that that paragraph is going to be about their feet. And you know it's about penguins, right? So you know that the overall idea is about penguins, but that specific paragraph is giving us information about their feet. This gives them a context of what the text is about without them ever having to read it. So then you can sort of create, I've done a few things with this, but you can create questions before they even go back and have to read it. Or if there already are leading questions or questions they have to answer about the text, they're going to know what paragraph to go back to and find the information there. I'm really happy you reminded me about this because I think the other skill besides identifying what the main point of the article is or the main point of the paragraph is, the other skill that this really highlights is the virtue of skimming, Mm -hmm. which is something that off air, you and I have been having an ongoing conversation about our middle school and high school students don't really know how to do this effectively. And it really shows up in note taking. They don't know how to identify keywords. They're uncomfortable not writing a complete sentence. And Mm -hmm. it's something that there's a trend going on. And so teaching this skill of skimming and previewing and reading quickly and reading for repeated words is really, really critical for these higher level, higher education skills that we want our kids to all be comfortable with. And the thing about the strategy that I feel like is really, really good, it's really doable for any age. Yeah. And it's not really complicated. I'm not asking them to read the paragraph and then go back and find the words. I'm asking them just to skim so they don't even have to read it yet. Right. And that makes it really easy and a little bit fun. Yeah. It's all about having the student engage with the story in as many different ways as possible. And this really, this strategy really loops in with restating the question. I loved your idea about creating questions from the skim and scoop that they've done. And it helps with summary and it helps with reading for answers. It probably helps with making true life connections and visualization and all these things that we've talked about, knowing what the story is about in advance. All those things are kind of in this one strategy. Maybe we should have started with this strategy being number (laughs) one, but you know. You guys have hung with us and you're listening, so you've got it all. Yeah, so we appreciate that. We want to make sure we kind of wrap this up really nicely, but I'm going to go through and read all 10 strategies again just one more time. The first is knowing what the story is about in advance. The second is pre-filled stickies in the book, giving the student questions to answer. The third is visualization. The fourth is audiobooks. The fifth is making true life connections. Strategy number six is reading for answers. Strategy number seven is restating the question. Number eight is summarization. Number nine is talking out loud. And number 10 is skim and scoop. What are some of our key takeaways when it comes to reading comprehension, Steph? The first and foremost is please don't do all the strategies at once. Pick one to start with that really resonates with you or you think that your kid will buy into. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just using sticky notes is fun and they'll buy into that. Yep. Fluency doesn't mean understanding and comprehension. Remember, fluency is the ability to decode and read the words beautifully. That doesn't mean that they understand what's going on in the story. 
read with your child, take turns, just let your child listen. Listening to a book still counts as reading. Using the WH questions to help with comprehension. We talked about this last week, the who, the what, the where, the when, and sometimes the why. Also keep in mind that the WH questions really only address the facts of the story. We have another episode planned in this reading series that addresses the deeper level meaning of stories and how to build those critical thinking skills. Stop frequently to have a discussion to check for understanding. Rachel calls this the insurance policies check. If your child struggles with comprehension, you can practice all of these strategies with TV shows and movies as well. Go to the thing that they're into and start incorporating some of these strategies where they are with what they like. Then you can transition into a book and into a narrative so that they have some experience with the strategy. They've heard you use this language before. They understand what the strategy is, and now they can apply it in a new context. I love it. Me too. (laughs) Smarties, we hope that you have found the last two episodes meaningful. We love working on reading comprehension with our students because usually two or three, sometimes more of these strategies really make a huge shift and demonstrate a huge change in the student's ability to understand what they're reading. It's probably the single most important part of learning is being unable to understand text. So we hope that these past two episodes haven't overwhelmed you, but rather have given you some ideas of what to try next. If you need more ideas, don't hesitate to sign up for a strategy session with Steph and I so we can dig in and get really specific with you and your child and talk about what we think might work best for your child. And you can do that by going to our website, www.learnsmarterpodcast.com. And as always, if you are enjoying these episodes, would you please share them with a friend you think may find them meaningful? Our mission in this podcast is really to create community, but also to give a wide range of people access to what we do. And we want educational therapy to be available to all students, not just students who live in an area where there are educational therapists. So please connect with a friend who might find an episode meaningful. That would mean the world to us. We will see you next week. See you next week.